On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we have a plethora of things that we talk about, whether it's feedback from the Bulls. Um, we spend a lot of time for a team for a podcast that doesn't like to talk about narratives. We talk a lot about narratives. And then we dive into our championship college championship pick. We talk about line moves, assuming it's a line moves. We talk a lot about motivation, again, with narratives. And then we pick a bunch of NFL playoff games. And uh, we have some interesting discussions, as always. So, as always, the Bet the Process podcast is brought to you by the Action Network app, which is the number one sports betting content app with scores and info that you can track so you should download it today because it's free and so with that let's start the process bet 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 the process bet 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 the process welcome to the podcast bet the process it's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense if you came just for picks you're in the wrong place find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking we're looking for the edge of massy peabody rankings crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic the bottom line welcome is to another like episode of the bet the process podcast we've done so many that i can't even keep count anymore We've done a lot. I'm joined, joined by Rufus. Rufus Senior, are you in your car smoking carbon monoxide again? I'm not. I'm back in Boston, but I'm actually in my neighbor's uh, in my neighbor's living room because the internet in my bedroom is not very good, and and my girlfriend's roommate has uh, her has his sister staying with him, so she's in the living room. Your girlfriend's so, yeah. roommate is a man. Yeah, I'm still squatting at her place while I try to find an apartment. I haven't been in Boston that much, though. I've been traveling so much that it hasn't really seemed necessary yet. But I think we're getting to the point where it's, you know, becoming pretty close to to, to being necessary. Do you want to stay in my my condo there that I have? You own a condo here? Oh no, I sold it. That's ah, too bad. Do you want to stay in my place in Vegas? You're renting it out to people. Ah, exactly. But I'm, I'm going to be in Vegas. For this I'm going to be in Vegas in a few weeks, and I'll be there for. You owe me dinner in Vegas well. still, by the way. I do. From like, like two two years ago, we had a bet, and you owed, last season you owed me a bet from dinner. You owed me. I dinner. probably owe you multiple dinners. No, I think you only owe me one dinner, and then you owe me for our wonderful bet on Oklahoma, the Oklahoma line. Whether sorry, it was Ohio State not making it. Remember? Hmm. I do. Remember this? Well, that's not a dinner, but that could be a very expensive <laughs> dinner. Could be a really nice dinner. I should have bet more. I should have bet so much more. I asked Preston what he thought I was like plus. I don't know. What did I end up giving you? Plus one hundred and fifty or plus two hundred? Did, did we do plus one hundred and fifty or plus one hundred and seventy-five? I don't. It remember. was plus one hundred and fifty. I wanted to give you one hundred and seventy-five. It was a good bet for you, but it was a nice hedge for me on those Oklahoma futures, which are now dead anyway. So, yeah. Well, that's a good place to start. So, what did you think of those semifinals? Now, you had. You had value, I know, on Clemson, and that line went all the way back down to minus eleven. So, did you guys add any more, or did you have enough already at that point? We didn't add any more. I had Clemson minus ten and a half um, from earlier, I think, or am I confusing it with the Georgia game? But either way, I, I did not add more, and um, I, I I wasn't that surprised to see the line go down towards Notre Dame, though, because I I do think Notre Dame is a bit of a public team, and I think you know these uh, college football semifinals are, are going to be more public games than, than your average game. So I, I'm not surprised at all to see that. What did you think? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess like, I, I suppose I wasn't surprised. Yeah, no, I wasn't surprised to see the line go down. Although once it went up to like 13 and then I guess I, I expected more of a drop when Dexter Lawrence was announced, not playing, or the you know those the suspensions and it, it kind of like bounced to twelve and a half and then it went back up and yeah then you're right and it, it went back down I mean it it was it was clear from that game now what did you think of that game because Notre Dame moved the ball pretty well and they they got into Clemson's um, Clemson side of the field I think six or seven times and didn't score a touchdown once so it, I wonder do you like what did you actually what did your game grade say it's like that Cowboys game against the Colts a few weeks back where the Cowboys had like the ball 
like six times in Indy territory and didn't score at all. But my game grades had Clemson as a as the number six team so far for the well, I, I shouldn't say so well, far. No, what I'm I guess what I'm more interested in is what did what did doesn't don't your game grades say what this what the uh difference should have been? The components. Yes. No, doesn't it doesn't it tell you like uh, give you a sort of like what they think the the game score difference should have been? It does, but it does it controlling for who you're playing. So um let me actually look. I mean, right now, so we had Clemson as a plus 33, meaning they'd be an, beat an average team by 33 points. Yeah, but then you can pretty much, Notre Dame, you can pretty much do the difference between that and Notre Dame, and that's what the expected outcome should have been. Right? Notre Dame comes in at a plus nine, so 24. Know, not too far <laughs> off, no. I mean, it's Got easy. It. Yeah. How, know, about, the last, how about the last how about 20 the, yards are the hardest to gain? How about Oklahoma? Oklahoma was a, let's see. Well, Alabama, first off, was the fifth best team at a plus 38. Oklahoma was, comes in at plus eight. So it should have been a 30 point game. Yeah. Do you think that people that um, bet Alabama minus 28 should feel, sorry, Alabama minus 14 or 14 and a half or 13 and a half? Should they feel like they got jobbed? Um, I mean, possibly. I don't know. I feel like I got jobbed in the Arkansas State Nevada game, but yeah, that uh, was absurd. that. That was a game where I feel like you know I looked at and like the Arkansas State so thoroughly outplayed Nevada and and still like lost. But um, actually, here I, I have it uh, ten points better. Although Arkansas State still was just average game grade of zero. Uh, you know, I, I, I thought you were going to ask well, what I would if someone who bet live Alabama minus 26 and a half, which someone tweeted at me, like that was the live line at one point, I think trying to troll my, my Oklahoma bet, um, which obviously it's not a tweet that aged well, but most of my tweets don't age well. So, uh, you know, I, I don't you're not even aging well. Let's be honest. I'm definitely not. I'm not Asian like yourself. Anyway, I, I, I do think, um, Yeah. Alabama was probably the right side there based on what happened, what we saw. What do you think? Well, I mean, based on your game grades, I mean, I'm, yeah. I believe in your game grades at, to some level and, and, you know, because I think the components of them make a lot of sense. And so, yeah, I think, I think if, if that game would, were to be bet, you know, I, I'm not sure how Alabama was ever stopped and there was a, a stretch of time, right. Where they, where they were stopped quite a bit. So it's, it's interesting um, to look back on that game. And, and certainly, if I had it to all over again, it did seem like I, I don't know what happened. Like it seemed like Brian Kelly had like a very conservative game plan, um, especially early on when they had some chances because Clemson was making some mistakes. And they just once once they got into a situation where they needed to be a little bit less conservative, of course, at that point Clemson knew they were gonna have to be less conservative and they were able to sort of pin their ears back and go after them. But I do think I do think in another world that game could have been closer. I, I think everyone now is saying like, "Oh, Notre Dame definitely did not deserve to be there," and I, you know, I guess be, not to be a Notre Dame apologist, but it, 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 I do believe that there was a game plan that Notre Dame could have had that would have yielded them a much better result than what they did. I agree. I think they were way too conservative. Brian Kelly was running the ball in the fourth quarter and and, and punting down like twenty some odd points, you know, which made absolutely no sense in the fourth quarter. Um, I, I read, I actually read an article recently that, that sort of uh, echoed your argument that Notre Dame actually wasn't that much worse than Clemson. And I think the big thing they said was Notre Dame wasn't that bad on play success relative to Clemson. And, and Clemson was, was very good at getting explosive plays, which are more random. And, and I agree with that, but, um, but my numbers actually don't have, I mean, my, they basically said Clemson only out, you know, only was 10% better than Notre Dame on play success, but that's a pretty sizable margin actually. Yeah. I mean, I, I the, the game was funny, right? Cause it was early on in the first quarter, certainly. And then I think for a little while in the second quarter, it, it played out pretty even and Notre Dame actually looked like they were, you know, the equivalent or able to play certainly with Clemson. And I felt pretty comfortable being, you know, a Notre Dame fan at that point, that it was going to be a good game. And then Clemson just realized that they could throw the ball up and, 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 you know, they converted a couple of those, what were somewhat jump balls, somewhat, you know, the one was wide open, but 
you know, those big plays and again, like, are they predictable or are they not? And those big plays were the difference, right? There were probably four big plays that were the difference in that game. And a lot of them were on third down too, which were even more, made them even higher leverage plays. Yeah, for sure. Um, moving into the, you know, this sort of narrative that of players missing games or, or deciding to sit out games. I tweeted out, I don't know if you saw this, like something about UCF essentially saying that, you know, like the mainstream media, especially after the game, they were talking about like how, how UCF couldn't hang with the SEC teams. This was proof of it. And no one was like talking about the sort of idea that, um, you know, UCF was missing Mackenzie Milton, who is this stud quarterback. And for you was the reason that you didn't bet on UCF. Like you thought the difference between him and Daryl and Mac was big enough that you didn't want to bet on it, but you didn't even, uh, you know, think about the fact that LSU was missing what eight defensive players or eight defensive starters or whatever it was. Was this an injury or just players sitting out? Eight those were players sitting players? out, I think, for the Eight most part. Yeah. That's a lot. That's what, that's what people responded to me on Twitter when I was basically, like, annoyed because I wasn't saying, like, UCF is as good as LSU. I was just saying, like, if a if a big – if an SEC team lost to UCF and that SEC team was missing their stud starting quarterback, people would bring that up all the time as the reason that SEC team lost. But no one gave UCF a break – for the fact that they didn't have Mackenzie Milton. And, and that would have been very, very, very different um, given how many LSU's, you know, D-backs were missing. Milton is a good quarterback who can pick apart people. Um, Mack is more of a runner and, you know, he can make some wide open passes, but he's certainly not very accurate. That's that's fair, but I would also make a counter argument that the SEC is less of a quarterback league than any other league in the country. Like, tell me what SEC team you're not you're you're kind of bearing with the lead here of what I'm saying. Yeah, well, I I would say though in college football that um, that quarterback is worth less than it is in the NFL, and defensive players worth probably like a top defensive player is worth more than than one in the NFL. Okay, that's fair. It's a fair fair rebuttal to my buttle. But by the way, Uh, I I did have some UCF money line. I found a nice rogue number, rogue, and, and grabbed it. I had a bunch of nice rogue money lines. It seemed like on on underdogs throughout bowl season. Interesting. Um. So, what can we conclude about conferences based on the bowl games? So UCF, you know, was one of a lot of the what are they the eight eight AC? Mm-hmm. Too many A's? Too few A's? I don't know. Triple but, A, triple AC. Yeah, it's they uh, double AC. They definitely looked like a double A league. Uh, Let's see what this bowl season. What, what did you have? Temple losing, uh, Memphis. I don't even know how many of these I can even name. But UCF. I mean, they they um, USF Houston. I mean, they did they did not play well. Can we conclude anything about the AAC? Was it overvalued? Was UCF overvalued? I mean, do you think they were overvalued or properly valued? Because I don't think anyone thinks the AAC is that good. No, but based on the market numbers, the AAC vastly underperformed. Sure, but that's happened with the Pac-12. That's happened with the MAC in the past. True. I, I'm just. Thinking, I mean, I guess think, the question is like, can is this anything based is on this predict? Is this predictive of of next year? Yeah, because ultimately that's what matters. Exactly. Are we saying that that can we learn from this season that the AAC is not as strong as we thought it was? relative to these other leagues maybe this year but i don't think that it means anything for next year or Or bowl games just so so different and so far removed from regular season games that we shouldn't even look at it well so i mean how would you use this information anyways would you do you have conference weightings or something no but i have well you know i have individual team ratings which you know the sum of those may you know inform conference rating i guess yeah i don't i don't know well i don't know if it's it's that interesting i think it's such a small sample size that it doesn't mean anything but here's my question but my question is would you actually would you wait this as a full game when you know look looking towards next year would you wait it just as much as you waited you know the aac championship game for example or do you think it's just so different that it should be de-weighted I think it's so different that it should be de-weighted. 
but yeah. like Alabama, yeah, but this Oklahoma, is, this is like be, almost right? this is this is almost like the same conversation we had last week, though, right? Yeah. So we had it last week, and we decided, or at least I decided, that it didn't mean it that much. So I'm gonna stand by that. Should Texas have been obvious? I assume you were on Georgia. It sounded like you said you were I was. Georgia. Yeah, I was on Georgia ten and a half, and that line steamed pretty hard towards Georgia. I mean, in retrospect, yes, there's this great narrative that that Georgia, it was a letdown spot for Georgia. They had lost to Alabama in the SEC championship game. Um, although I guess Texas had also lost in their conference championship game, but but these are all obvious after the fact. I think that's the point, right? If Georgia had blown out Texas, would it have been obvious also? No, because that's not that's not a narrative that worked, right? This is I guess what you're saying is that you don't care. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, I, I think you know, if you watched the first quarter of their game, which I didn't, but I looked at I saw the score and I saw that it seemed like Texas was moving the ball down the field every single drive and Georgia had nothing going. Um, when you look at that, you could say, Okay, well, it looks obvious now, but but going into the game, definitely not. Yeah, I think there were a few of these situations, and there were a few actually in the NFL that we can talk about later, where certainly after the fact, it seemed obvious that motivation was playing a big part in this, and the lines shouldn't have been what they were. So, But I think, I think you're right. It's just narratives more than anything. Um, I don't want to talk about bowl game grades. I mean, we just talked about it. Like Nothing there is necessarily predictive. All we care about right now is the championship. Do you want what, what are you typing right now? Are closing lines more efficient in bowl games than regular season games or less efficient? That's a good question. I think it's a very good question. What do you think? I think they're I don't know. Do you know the answer? No, I don't. I would I say don't, they're I, less efficient, and I would just say because there's more public money in the in the market. At the same time, there's less well. I don't want to say well, less I, know, I can, I can see the counter argument, right? The counter argument is that. There's more unmodel. There's more stuff that's harder to model. Unmodel, I market. Yeah, yeah. Unmodel. I, I see the counter argument. Almost, it's almost like a boxing match where you know these boxers went like three months without boxing, and, and you can have a great model based on a boxer's previous you know, bouts, but you don't know how you don't know what his training regimen was. You, you don't know um, how many miles he was running each day for the last like two weeks, right? So there's all this information that you don't know, and so. The question is, do people have that that inside information, and is that reflected in the market? Yeah, I, that that's the that is an interesting co- concept, right? Which is that there is all the stuff that's not in models; it's hard to model, and and the wisdom of the crowds, the market knows more of that information. So, I mean, I think that narratives are driving these lines, but but something like you know, and. and Let's, I mean, NC State, Texas A&M is an example of one where the narrative was obviously that NC State was sitting these players, and so we can understand that one. But let's say there's one where where the market number is way off of my number with no real narrative behind it. Is that one where you would sort of hold off? Um, I don't know. It's hard to know. It's it, it, again, this, this is we talked about. We tried to talk about this last week, right? This whole idea and. Last week when I tried to talk about it with you, you didn't seem to be interested in it. It might have been the fact that you were sitting in <laughs> subarctic in your car, but um, I, this is what I tried to talk about last week. And I just, I just think this is all like this ridiculous noise that's really hard to to model and hard to know for sure. Uh, I do, I do think we have to be wary going forward of these teams that we know are sitting a lot of players, um, or you know, have this like clear lack of motivation and i'm not saying necessarily that you don't bet it but i I would just i just think that the the it's becoming more the case that people are sitting these players this wasn't the case five years ago it's true now it's becoming more and more the case so it's definitely something i think to be wary of i agree with you on that as far as the motivation i don't really know how to analyze that but yeah maybe i shouldn't have said motivation maybe that maybe that was a bad one to say um you know in the case of Georgia, there was definitely a lot of, you know, Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning or whatever quarter people coming out and saying it was obvious. I think Ted Firm, Todd Furman said said something about how he had the money line and Texas money line and Texas plus points or whatever. And this was, you know, like he started tweeting about this in like the second quarter or something. 
Of course. Would he have tweeted about it if if Georgia had been blowing out Texas? I don't know. He's he's always tweeting about some lesson for sports betters. Yeah, that, very, that's true. <laughs> fucking high horse. Uh, anyways, um, mean versus median lines. You want to talk about that? Um, not well, let's save that sort of for the end for the NFL stuff because there are some lines in the NFL that are in that sort of range between you know minus one and and minus three plus money. So uh, I think it it makes more sense to talk about then. Okay, let's talk a little then about uh, our picks for the College Bowl. Now, this is this is a classic case because every analytical. So this this line opened at what six and a half. Well, and, I mean, the look ahead was eight and a half, then down to seven and a half. Then I, I got a little eight. And, I got a little eight. I got a little eight. You do remember we talked about this months I know. ago. And did and I nail the line? I the value would be on Clemson. Yeah. Sorry. We said the value would not be on Clemson, and I said the line would probably be about six and a half. Yeah. And I was hoping it would still be at seven when, you know, because there's going to be higher limits, but um, it's down to five now. Yep. And there's still value on Clemson. Right. Although I'm not factoring for the factoring in the fact that Lawrence number two, Dexter, will also won't be playing. Are they brothers? Um, have you watched the games? It's a joke. Winky face. I know. They could be. They could be. They could be adopted brothers. You don't have to. You don't have to be such a. You don't have to be so close-minded. There's a non-zero chance. Like, you you want to hear a bet? I uh, a bet I uh, placed. Placed, I shouldn't placed in air quotes uh, over over Christmas with my brother. Sure, I'd love to hear it. He said, he said, what what if Steve Stricker was walking down the road, being carried by eight little kids? And I said, there's a non-zero chance. <laughs> and 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 so somehow I ended up placing a bet at a billion to one for a dollar that Steve Stricker would end up walking down the street being carried by some kids up in rural Maine. Um, although then I realized that my brother didn't have a billion dollars to pay it. So um, we d- I didn't actually make the bet, but um, yeah, I just wasted a bunch of your time. So this is what happens in the Peabody household around the holidays. Lots, uh, of, bets, lots of backgammon. Yeah. Backgammon is, is a big sport amongst the white people. Um, the white people. That's yeah, not where it originated. Where did it originate? Middle East. Mm, aren't Middle Eastern people, what are they considered? Middle Eastern? <laughs> but what color? If we're going to be completely racist and non-PC. So what do you think the line, what do you think the math models are missing? Because FBI, Massey Peabody, Who's, what's S and P plus? I don't even know. What that That's is. football outsiders stuff. They have college stuff. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. Um, but basically, the point is Connelly every analytical system uses the has S&P value. Stuff. Yeah, every analytical. I think it's a Bill Connolly thing. Every analytical system has value on Clemson. Why? No, I don't answer. know. Is there something? Is there something that we're missing? We meaning the Matthews. So I, one thing I think is interesting is there was a narrative or there was a thought for most of the year until the LSU game, right? That Alabama may not have had a very good defense, correct? They thought yeah. like, okay, this is a great offense, but their defense is pretty bad. Yeah, it was, it was, considered they, the they went and they, unit. they, they, you know, beat LSU. They, they had like two or three really good games in a row and everyone's like, Oh my God, these guys are, are a good defense. And then they struggled against Georgia, right? And we've seen that maybe Georgia was good. I mean, Georgia was certainly good, but then they definitely struggled a bit against Oklahoma from time to time, right? They gave up a lot of points. So can we now say that maybe their defense is not that good? I mean, the way the game script was, you know, it's not surprising that they gave up points later on in the game, but they also played Oklahoma, which had the second best defense in this century according to my numbers offense, so offense 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 sorry oklahoma the second yeah oklahoma did not they have the second a very o- they had a very offensive defense by the way the number one best was oklahoma 2008 who was the quarterback of that team who was sam it, bradford um, no was it no no wait it might have been 
who is I'm trying to think of Oklahoma quarterbacks. You had Josh Heupel. You had could have um, been Heupel. That's Heupel. further back, though. That's further back. Uh, the, was they it had Troy a really good team back was in like 2000. It, it could have been Troy Aikman, right? 2002 as well. Who was it? Troy Aikman. <laughs> and I bet it was Sam Bradford. It sounds about right. It's got to be. Because Sam, <laughs> Sam Bradford's like 30 something, right? Sounds yeah. about right. Makes sense. Anyway, I, I, you know, I do think the game script plays plays into that a lot, and I think Alabama's defense played very well against Oklahoma. I mean, Got it. When you're up 28 points, you're going to be playing a little bit differently than if you're, you're in a tie game. Can I tell you about this game I played with my um, uncle-in-law? Please do. So we did this thing where you go back and forth between each bowl game, and you get to pick versus the spread, and then you have an automatic bet against that other person against the spread, right? Okay. So like, so we did this, and we had in the Oregon game, I had chosen. Michigan Michigan State plus one and a half, right? Wasn't that line like three? It was three, and then it went down. And then did you know that it ended with Oregon as the favorite? I mean, sorry, with Michigan State as the favorite? I didn't realize that. I had Michigan State plus three, so I, I was I'm I'm happy with that. And I think they lost by one, right? All right. So when I when I had I was very honest with him. I would go into look at the sports action app and I would go down the games and I'd be like, okay, Michigan State. I'll take them plus one and a half. And I took them plus one and a half. It had just been two and a half, maybe like, I swear, like an hour earlier. But I looked on the app and it was plus one and a half. And I'm like, that's fine. I'll take them a plus one and a half. It's fine. Now, he was at his friend's house and his friend had bet Oregon plus one and a half, I guess, you know, whenever. And he basically accused me of cheating. And we're betting like $50 a game. So I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is, I'm not going to cheat you. Because the line had moved. The Did line had moved gave him a different from when number? we made the bet, but like I always in these in these in these games in this game, I'm basically for for the one, games that he has, I'm quoting him a line, and he's getting to choose which side he wants. So it's not like I know what side he wants, right? Right. And then I got into, I basically like got in an argument with my brother-in-law about whether a one and a half to one and a half, like minus one and a half to plus one and a half line move is is that significant? And it isn't, right? No, I mean, so, so how much do you think one is worth? I'll tell you what my, I have my chart pulled up in terms of cents. So what does minus one and a half to plus one and a half mean in terms of probability or in terms of cents? So I have my push probability at minus one at 2.38%. So plus one will also be right around there. So that's, you know, less than and a five. It, it, it can't end at zero. Right. So we we add the one and we add the one because we have full we have the one roughly roughly five percent yeah a little less than that which is pretty significant when you think about it right i mean how about like minus six and a half to minus seven and a half um six to five point seven percent so it's roughly so a half point there's 12 cents Yeah, the half point value of of minus one is is four point eight seven cents, but you're only getting half of that, right? Right. Oh no, yeah. Or because you get half of it to go on to minus one, you get half off, but then you don't have that zero. We Am I confusing myself? Right I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, all right. That's not important. Let's move on. You want to talk about this RJ Bell narrative? I was like listening to his podcast today because I hadn't listened to it in a long time, and I was like, "Oh, curious to see what they're talking about." And they were talking forever about their their contest and how they'd picked a yeah. bunch of. Did you? Oh, did you listen to it? I didn't listen this week or last week, but I've been because they've been talking about this before. contest thing for a while. Yeah, they were they they were in. What is? Are they in some contest with people? I don't understand it's... what's going on. <laughs> It's not the Hilton contest their time or the Westgate. It's the, it's the Westgate Gold. Oh, it's like winner take all. So they they tried to pick everything that the leaders they thought the leaders wouldn't be on, and ended Got up it. going I think oh and five right. Yeah. No, right. You did listen. Just just no. I just, just I just saw. I, I just heard. Okay. Uh, heard. So, so so what they kept talking about was how. And they've always said this, this idea that betting underdogs is somewhat better because you're always going to be aligned with the team. 
and you're more often aligned with the team, i.e. like the team that's under is always trying to actually like score more points versus when you're winning by a lot, you're not necessarily, you're just, you're not necessarily trying to keep them from scoring seven points. You're maybe trying to keep, keep them from scoring 14 in a, or 21 in a certain amount of time. Right. And, and I and guess, if, I, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, first off, that's going to be priced in because, you know, when a line of Alabama versus who was that like Louisiana Lafayette, I think that was the line that was minus 50. And the first half line was probably minus 40. You know, the second half, you know, they're not going to be, they're not going to be trying to score. They're going to be trying to give their backups and third stringers some time and some experience. They're going to be running a lot of halfback dives and trying to stay healthy, right? That's priced in there. You know, if, if you expected that Alabama was going to be, playing to score points and, and maximize their score differential, that line would be a lot higher. Um, but also I think it's wrong in the fact that in some cases, the incentives betting on a dog are not aligned. And I think one game that we both bet on, Jeff, uh, is a good example of that. And that's the Jets against the Texans a few weeks back. I was watching that. I, I saw that end, um, the end of the game from Blue Dragon, eating at the chef's table with your friend Ming Tsai. Very mm-hmm. good, move, by the way. But the Jets were up. Um, late, they or they scored to take the lead late. Uh, the Texans came back, scored a touchdown, took a lead, by, uh, I think a four-point lead with two and a half minutes or so to go and two timeouts left. We both had the Jets on that game. I think the spread closed around six and a half or seven. Um, it had moved up towards the Texans. So so the Jets had the ball. Um, they ended up going four and out. They And because they went for it on fourth down to maximize this, maximize their chances of winning the game. Now, by doing that, they gave Houston the ball back with like with time to. And, and Houston needed a field or needed a first down to be able to run the clock out. They weren't able to do that. They kicked the field goal, um, and we lose our bet. So I think there are plenty of cases where um, where the underdog is not um, the underdog bet is not aligned with the team's motivations um you know what's what's sorry what's what's interesting about this is that as teams become more optimal in how they play meaning like they go want to go for it more on fourth down and don't like do what ohio state did in that situation where they punted uh sorry washington punted in a situation where they probably should have gone for it Mm -hmm. uh when as they become more optimal and take these chances that give them a higher chance of winning but not necessarily a you know they do the riskier thing, which is the right um, thing to do. No. Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's not, <laughs> it's worse <laughs> for your bet. If you're, if you're betting the underdog, I completely agree. And I think, I mean, teams should be going for it down, you know, 21 points from their own 20 yard line on fourth down with like five minutes to go in the game, but they punt. Yeah. Because right. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the point is wrong. Interesting. You're saying the point is wrong. I'm not willing to say the point is wrong, but I'm definitely willing to say that it's become much less the case as teams are starting to become much more um, understanding of when to go for it on fourth down and and how they should be going for more on fourth down, which I think introduces this. I introduces a thing where underdogs have a much better chance of potentially winning, but not necessarily covering. In other words, you get you get a you get a wider wider distribution of scoring of of outcomes potentially right but the other point is the market accounts for that stuff too i don't know if it's counting accounting for potentially a new distribution in terms of outcomes based on the fact that teams are becoming more risky maybe not but i mean if if that does happen i think it would start accounting for it and i think it accounts for it, it does account for the the differing motivations late in games and blowouts right so I don't think you can just sort of say blanket statement like underdogs are better because incentives are in line with the team they're betting on. Okay. I'm with you. Okay. Um, anything else on any of these games? Which um, college football? Yeah. Nope. I say let's let's move on. Um, but first, how, how did you do overall with your – uh, bets on the bowl season, both full game and second half. Uh, full. I mean, full game. I think I was close to five hundred. I mean, our our second halves did all right. Um, they 
we had a double winner on Stan- the Stanford uh, Stanford Pitt game. We had under and we had Stanford in that second half. And then we had uh, on the last day on January 1st, so we had the under 38 in the second half of Oklahoma and pushed that. Um, and we also had Florida that day when Florida was like plus three against Michigan. And then the last day we had we had the under in the UCF LSU game, which was not so fun to have the under in. And then we had the under in the – did you have under in Georgia, Texas? I felt like, oh, no, you guys don't no. do second halves. I well, thought that was the easiest bet of the bowl season that second half under. Really, we we didn't do we didn't do second half or bowl season just because it's family time. I don't want to like in there's you know honestly we probably should have done it for for some of these days with a bunch of games, but like you know I don't want to make you know my trader like have to I don't know go every day be around every day for one game, right? It's family time, like you said. You're your family man. So that makes sense. Exactly. That's I'm known. I'm known as the family man. <laughs> Is that right? I don't think that's true. Uh, I was thinking of like Nicolas Cage. Like that would be a movie. Nicolas Cage in The Family Man. Wasn't he? Because he was like the weatherman, and I don't know. We're definitely going in non sequiturs today. Yep. Uh, let's move on yep. to NFL. Let's move on to NFL. So, so the the long and short of it is that we both like Clemson plus five. Yes, agree. You think? Okay, how about this? Do you think that line will go up or down at this point? Um, so maybe like up a little people bit. Are just, betting, should they wait? What's that? I think maybe up, given the you have the narrative of the Dexter Lawrence injury or suspension and the two other players being suspended, right? And I, I, I don't know. I, I think more public money comes in on Alabama. The question is, will you have one of these sort of Super Bowl middle opportunities where you because the the average public better is going to be betting on Clemson on the money line, but Alabama on the spread. So there may be one of these, uh, you know, it's, it's just like the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, there might be opportunities to bet on. I shouldn't say, I mean, there may be relative value on Alabama on the money line and like relative to the spread. And so Clemson on the spread relative to the money line. But interestingly, before the Alabama-Oklahoma game, I noticed the Pinnacles number was way off market for, I mean, they they, they were dealing a really, really juicy money line on, on Oklahoma. It got all the way up to plus 500 at one point. And, you know, where when maybe... I think Beck Chris was like plus 440, like the best in Vegas was maybe plus 425 at that point in time. And so I don't know if Pinnacle just had a ton of liability on Alabama there, but I thought it was kind of interesting. Well, didn't we decide that that was the case? Because, you know, last week we talked about a similar, the similar situation, right? Do you ever, yeah. re, re, do you ever like remember what we talked about the week before? Because I feel so, like sometimes. Maybe, maybe your brain I freeze in Maine. Your brain misses but those possibly, but but also I I didn't really hear very much of last week's podcast because I mostly heard static on your end. Did you listen to the pod? It's it was fine. <laughs> really? Did you listen? Have you listened to it? See, no. you need to go back right. and listen to the podcast from time to time, Rufus. Anyhow, anyway. you're hurting me right now. You're hurting Sorry. me because you don't listen. Can we move to the NFL, please? We can. I think we just give the NFL picks and be done because we're just all over the place. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, Week 17, what did we learn? That don't bet on the Dolphins. That was an interesting one, right? Because there were multiple people that I knew that were sharps that were all on the Dolphins. The line moved from you know three and a half, which was clearly value, to five, which was obviously even more value. Um. It was a weird game in that the Dolphins ended up tying it at halftime. You know, like they Tannehill gifted them like 14 points or something like that, but the Dolphins tied it. And then the Buffalo clearly dominated in the second half. And it's it's interesting to think about a game like that. Like, what do you think the market knew that we didn't? It's a good question. A lot of it was motivation, right? The the but fact well, I mean that, you just you're just saying that, that like, Miami just didn't care because they were home. Were, and... I don't know. People were saying they'd given up on the season. There was turmoil with the coaching staff. Gase was rumored to be out the door regardless. 
whereas Buffalo had been playing well, um, they didn't seem to have that turmoil. They were one of those teams like people thought the Giants were a few weeks back that were going to finish strong despite a poor record. So Mm -hmm. they were a team building towards next year rather than the Dolphins who had checked out. Plus, you also have the sort of the the fact the game was played in 28 degree weather in Buffalo and you had Miami, a warm weather team traveling there. And and you can't really replicate 28 degree weather um, on South Beach. So that 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 was probably why would you why would you why would you want to? It's a good question. I guess if you wanted to get your team ready for a cold weather, <laughs> you would. Uh, interesting. But, okay. but even if they even if they could have, you think the players would have wanted to? No, the player the players were ready for vacation. So in a game like that, and you you actually tweeted about this, right? You were like, "This game is the one that you don't understand." Mm-hmm. In a situation like that, when you really just don't understand and it moves against you, it's not going to change your behavior, is it? No, I mean it makes me a little dubious, but but the number was just so far off of what the fundamentals had, and you could have said that the weather was worth like two and a half points towards Buffalo, and it's still a good bet. So, yeah, and it's hard to believe that the weather would be worth two and a half points. No, I mean, but but it is hard to sort of see in in these sort of extreme situations what the actual effect is, or I mean, you can you can model it, but but to be able to model it precisely is very difficult just because you don't have that big of a sample. And because, you know, playing in 50 degrees for a warm weather team is very, very different than playing in like 25 degrees. And you just don't have that many 25 degree games. So it's it's a it's a very nonlinear effect. Which, and so it's going to be heavily influenced by these few outlier games um, with really low temperatures. But there's so few of them that um, that my model, like, you know, I said that the effect on the Miami game could have been anywhere from a half a half a point to two points, basically. That's sort of the confidence interval. So, um, but regardless, I still like Miami there. I think you mean irregardless. Irregardless. Sorry, I haven't been listening enough. You never listen. Uh, what about any of the other things? Like one one thing that I I thought about afterwards and was that Detroit Green Bay line, right? Green Bay was like eight and a half, and it just seemed like after the fact, it just seemed like obvious that there's no way Green Bay should have been eight and a half over Detroit. Like they should have been it, more or less? Less. So I guess I just feel like it should have been kind of obvious. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just being stupid because it's maybe just one of those narrative things after the fact. But again, I get think this gets back to like, did you guys did you guys win or lose in week 17? Um, Small loser. We, we lost mainly on totals. We went yeah. 0-3 on totals. No, I didn't. I didn't bet any totals, so I, I I think I lost like a unit in, or maybe a unit and a half. And like I went zero and three in the early games, or zero and two in the early games, and then the late games. I I one hundred percent, and I know this was one of your picks, and so I think that I'll credit you with the win. Denver plus seven should have won. Yeah, no, I I think it should have. You're right. And there were two I mean, touchdowns that San Diego scored that were basically just gifted to them. Well, and then you also had the two-point conversion, you know, defensive two-point conversion too. Yeah. What, yeah. What a, what a ridiculousness. Yeah, was. I had the over 41 and a half there too. Let's see. I was actually, it was more like, let's see. I, I was a loser of about 20%. So, so not, it's yeah, a lot. not insignificant at all. You're right. Yeah. I, yeah. Although I, I felt like it wasn't as much just because, you know, I, ha- I won those, those Baltimore divisional futures and I had, I hit the middle cause I bet Cleveland, like I loaded up on Cleveland plus seven cause I thought there was a little bit of value there and I had that middle. So that, that kind of saved the day for me. It would have been awful if it wasn't for that. Oh, you ended up taking the, taking the points. Yeah, I did. Yeah, we, we got when that got line got up to seven. <laughs> it was funny. I remembered from the pod that you thought there was value on, and I remember from the pod you talking about wanting to, or we were talking about you wanting to be on Cleveland money line in Cleveland. And then that line went up to seven. And I was basically like, oh, Rufus said there was value there and whatever. And so may have had some Cleveland position. And then I looked at Mazzy Peabody numbers and I was like, wait a minute. This says that the line should be seven. Right. And then I was like, 
Oh yeah, Rufus said that the only reason he was on him was because he had the Baltimore Futures, and anyways, I felt like an idiot. But then when they came back, man, what's that? No, I said so. So player model has been high on Cleveland all year, and Massey Peabody's been low on Cleveland. So got it. So that was you did see value on that. I I did a little bit. I mean, it wasn't a huge amount of value, but given that, like, but yeah, the money line was not as I, I sort of hoped I. I'd get a better money line, you know, but I got the, the spread was a much better bet. Um, you know, I kind of thought that the money line may be inflated due to the perception that Baltimore has to win. Right. But. Wasn't yeah. The case. I mean, I, yeah, find, I mean, that was the, that's the Dr. Bob angle, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you want incentives to be aligned. One game I did take that was sort of rogue was I took, Cincinnati plus when that line went to 14 and a half, I took them plus 14 and a half. That one yeah. felt pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, they were up early. I didn't have anything there. That one was never, I, never in doubt. Never in doubt. One thing I, I also grabbed late, right before post, um, some Dallas plus seven and a half and plus 290 money line, which was, uh, I mean, not a huge position or anything, but that just number felt like so wrong to me. I mean, obviously it's wrong if, if both teams are motivated, but. I just didn't think that with Prescott playing, I didn't think that it was worth like, you know, the motivational aspect and the resting players aspect was worth eight points. Like the market thought, Hey, I'll give you, (coughs) sorry. I'll give you big time props for your handicapping of that um, bears game. The bears. Oh, the bears. Well, yeah. Cause that line went back. That line went back to, I think to six, six and a half. And I remember thinking to myself, Oh, maybe, Rufus is wrong because the line went back up, but then it turns out Rufus was right because not only did they cover, but they won outright. And like really never, never, that game was never really in doubt. They did rest some starters in the second half. That was my concern. That, that... But, it, but if you think about it, like they're like the, the constant, they're like the perfect example of a team who rests some starters and they should be fine. Right. Like what, what skill players do you, do they have on offense where you're like, Oh my God, if that guy's out, I'm, I mean, it's like Khalil Mack, maybe, and like if if Trubisky's out, is it that big a deal? If Taylor Gabriel's out, is it that big of a deal? If like, you know, Trey no, Burton's out, I'm naming a bunch of people you don't know who their you, names are. I know those guys, but you're naming skill position players in offense. I mean, I, I just looking through the snap counts, they rested some defensive players. That's what I was saying. Yeah, but their defense That's- probably has a fair amount of depth, right? It's a it's one of the best defenses in the league. And you would guess that's not only to do with the starters, but also just the people they rotate through also. No, I, I agree with you on that. But that I mean, was do you think that defense is more, where... do you think that defense is more system, i.e. less susceptible to people sitting than offenses? Yes, probably. I would think so. So what do you think? Again, that's, that's my know. point. My point was my narrative after the fact was I should have listened to Rufus because Probably the bear sitting people is not a big deal. Yeah, I, I'm I'm just looking through like some of the defensive players that played. Have you heard of Kylie Fitz or Nick Kwiatkowski or are Kevin these Oliver members of are these members of a boy band? Possibly DeAndre Houston Carson, Marcus Williams. These are all defensive players. Marcus Williams, tried. I've heard of. He played for UConn back in the day. Yeah. Well, these were players all got more than ten snaps on defense. But okay. The other uh, I mean, thing was at halftime, you know, the the Rams were blowing out the Niners, so the Bears probably knew they didn't have much to play for. I was just happy they had, you know, they had built a lead at that point. Because um, if I if you know if I was Matt Nagy, I would have I would have pulled some players as he did, but I probably would have done it in a more extreme fashion. Well, this stuff's just stupid now, though, because like, why why did San Diego continue to play players? I don't know. They didn't. That was that really. was. I mean, like no, that, that's. But but they rested players too, and this kind of gets me to a point I wanted to make. And how, Wait, how did, did they, they rest a lot? Of, did they rest a lot of defensive players? Because they didn't really um, rest a lot of offensive players, as far as I could see. I was watching the game. Yeah, they rested some defensive players. I mean, you see, like you, Jatavis Brown got sixteen snaps at linebacker. So did Kyle Emanuel, fifteen snaps. So you you had a few players getting some rest, but on offense, you're right. Like. There wasn't a whole. No, I mean, well, no, actually, yeah, that's Phil false. Rivers. Like that's all false. I needed. They pulled. They pulled some of their starting. They pulled a bunch of linemen. Um, they pulled their yeah, center, right guard, and right okay, tackle. Stop. So isn't that all the more reason that they should probably not play Phil Rivers? Yeah, kind of. 
That doesn't make a ton of sense. And as a Denver backer, all I needed but was some leverage snaps by Geno Smith, and I would have been fine. And you got them. You got 10 snaps from Geno. What, they were, what, none of they them pulled? were leveraged. At that okay. point, the game was already out. True. I mean, but when they pulled, I mean, you got Geno with 10 snaps, and you got these offensive linemen with 10 to 12. So I don't think we should, we should uh, pile on the coaching staff right now because it does seem like there was a method to – no, there's not a method. Not that game that game meant nothing. It meant zero. And well, Melvin Gordon got hurt and thank God he's okay. It meant zero and, once Kansas City had established they were going to win. They established they were going to win very early in that game. Yeah. That's what I'm saying in the second half. I mean, but you Phil Rivers played Phil half. Rivers played a quarter and a half of that second half. Yeah. They had him on a meaningless drive when they were up 7 and let him go down the field like he made great passes. The offense looked great. All this kind of stuff. I just, I, I just think it's stupid. I mean, I, mean, I think you, you, you let him play, let him play a half. The game doesn't mean anything, and then sit him. Right. We, we know that re- we anything, know yeah. that we know that in the NFL, rest matters. I do think that, you know, you, do you think Anthony Lynn was worried that if Oakland came back to win, how foolish he would look if he had pulled Rivers and and somehow they lost to the Broncos? Probably. Do you think he it's prob- loss aversion? Yeah, I pro- I think there was probably a lot of like ridiculous loss aversion. But the the fact is like he's not going to be thinking about the fact that maybe he put his team in a worse position to win next week because he pushed them to the brink when he could have given them like a basically a rest. And then you know obviously um, Baltimore had to play really hard until that end so that he could have given his team an advantage in terms of rest. Yeah. Do we want to do we want to use this as a sort of segue into that game? Sure. That game is interesting to me because I think that almost every analytical system it's similar to this this uh, national championship game, right? Every analytical system says that there's value on the Chargers plus three. Yeah, and I've heard some interesting narratives, which are that the Chargers are defense is built to stop the modern offense which Baltimore is not. And so this is just a bad matchup for them. But then I on the flip side, the what, what's that? I heard the same thing exactly in those words. Yeah. Where did I hear that? It was probably on Twitter. I think someone on the ringer wrote about it and it was an interesting. Take. Oh yes. Kevin Clark. Yeah. Kevin Clark wrote about it. There we go. I knew we were listening to the same stuff. And then the ball and then, but then you have the case of the other narrative, right? Which is that no team has yet seen this Baltimore team twice and San Diego or sorry, the chargers, the LA chargers will be the first one. So will this give them an advantage to be able to stop that, that offense? That's a good point. That's a very good point. So, and I still think though Baltimore has, they've played a ridiculously easy schedule since Lamar Jackson took over as quarterback. I think the long and short of it is that there's too much value on the Chargers to pass up. And I think we both like the Chargers. You have that yeah. line at, at Chargers should be actually favored by 0.1 points. That's what you make it? No, that's what I make numbers. it. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah Massey, and then actually Peabody. what's interesting, it's interesting that you have Houston because I looked at Massey Peabody like right when these lines came up because I was curious to see where you had value. And it looked, I thought you were going to have value on Indy. But then when the, your new numbers came out, you ended, actually ended up having value on Houston. And our model actually has value on Houston also. So that's one rare game where you, your model and our model agree. It's thin. It is thin. But yes, we do. I mean, so... Would you take so Houston minus people, one or would you take Houston minus 120 money, money line? Um, so minus one, I, I would make the cover rate not regressing to the market. The cover rate would be 55.6%. So minus 125. Um, and I'd make it minus one thirty one money line. So, so wait, close. So what I take? So I would take minus. I would take minus one minus one ten. Yeah, yeah, it's close though. It's close. It is. Although you can get minus one reduced somewhere, I believe, or you could a few minutes before we started recording. Um, I'm also going to take two other games that. I'm picking all four games. Um, I'm going to take Seattle plus two over Dallas. When, I'm, where do you where where do you actually see value on that? I'm sure I'm sure you so, see value at Seattle plus two and a half. 
So I'll be honest, I don't I actually haven't put anything on Houston yet. It's it's kind of thin, but I actually do have a bet on Seattle. Um I got some plus three laying um laying a little bit there early in the week. And I actually thought about taking Dallas minus one when it got back there. Just because I mean that I mean that's pos- both were positive according to my model, but like um but that's before you account for any regression of the market. But I make it uh, Dallas minus 1.3, and that's with the player and Massey Peabody combined. Where do you make it? Uh, I think I make it like Seattle even. Yeah. The the, the Massey Peabody likes Seattle a little bit more than Dallas. But, um, oh, but really quickly, before like going back to that Houston game, I only make the Houston line minus 1.9, but I think it's important to note that the median and mean are going to be kind of different there because largely because of the effect of, of three, because you have so many games landing on three that um, a line of minus, like actually I could make the line minus one. I make the line minus 1.94 for the Houston game. That's the combo line with Massey Peabody in the player model. And I still would rather take Houston minus two and a half than take Indy plus two and a half. Like I would make, Houston minus two and a half minus one Oh nine, even though I make it minus 1.94. So I like, it's an important distinction to make. And Seth Byrne kind of called me out on uh, posting some bull picks regressed to a market with, which was, we actually had posted like we had regressed to the mean market number. So I think that that's uh, um, I think he made a valid point there. And so, Wanted to clear tough on you these days. He's been very tough on me. Mm-hmm. He, he, he seems to look for. <laughs> I can handle it. He's just mean to you. He's he's you're like his new Aaron Schatz. You're like his Aaron Schatz bitch. No, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> did, I I, up, did I end up on Xfinity again? And you can't hear me. <laughs> if I threatened to sue him or anything like that, has has he threatened to sue Seth? I, I don't know. I, I think that there was some issue with. I, I, I I don't know the details, but Anyways. all I know is Aaron Shaz blocked me because we talked about him on this podcast, and apparently he didn't like what we said. I doubt he even listened to it. So I don't know if he blocked me or not. Anyways, uh, I'm going to take Chicago minus a six over Philly. Um, what do you make that line? Why do you like that? I'm curious. Uh, I think there's a teeny bit of value. I think the line should be closer to seven. Um, and then I just, I just have in my mind this idea that Philly has gone on this run, and everyone's like remembering last year's Super Bowl with Nick Foles. And the reality is, Philly has just not been a very good team this year, and they've beat a bunch of really bad teams over the last few weeks. Um, and things have broken for them, right? Like they wouldn't even be here if Minnesota could have beaten a, you know, a a Chicago team at home that was resting players. So like, and I think that, you know, Chicago's a team that's gotten better all year. Um, I think that they'll probably outplay what their number is. Whereas I think Philly is probably um, like getting a little boost from priors that they maybe don't deserve. So that's my yeah, I actually think the Eagles, out of all, like, are I think they're better than Indy. They're better than Houston. They're right around Seattle territory. They're better than Dallas, at least according to Massey Peabody. I don't think the Eagles are nearly as bad as 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 you do. I mean, they've. Um, I don't think that they're bad. I mean, they've been a team that we've we've ridden kind of all year. Like, I loved them in that game against Dallas, and that they lost in overtime. You know, like. I guess I just don't yeah. think they're bad, but I, I do think that like in this situation, getting giving less than a touchdown with Chicago, I see I, could, I see this game. It could get ugly, and I for some reason I really feel that way. And I'm whenever I do this, whenever I believe something to my core that's like you know slightly different than the numbers say, I'm usually wrong. So me I too say. normally. <laughs> so. But I do want to call you out on on you said the Eagles have beaten up on some bad teams. I mean, yes, the Redskins they beat up on twice, but they beat the Texans. They beat the. Well, Rams. We don't think the Texans are very good. We think the Texans are a above average team, and they basically like 
they, the player model likes the Texans a lot more, actually, too. Okay, so who else have they beaten in this run? They've be, Okay, so they beat the Texans by two. They beat the Redskins by 24. They beat the Rams on the road by seven. They lost yeah. the Cowboys in overtime in, in a game they should have won. Before that, they beat the Redskins at home in the game that Colt McCoy got injured that I was in attendance at. They beat the Giants by three before that. That and Giants game, if you remember, that one was dicey, right? It was, but that's still a five and one record. No, five and one record in their last six games. The only, and, the only and they should have beat the Cowboys. So, so we can say no. Okay, but yeah. Rufus, we can also say the flip side, right? We can say like the only really impressive victory in that whole thing was was Dallas. I mean, sorry, was was the, were the Rams? I mean, they beat they beat Houston at home by two. Right, right. They beat Washington twice. They barely beat they barely beat the Giants at home, and they lost to Dallas. So I'm not saying either is so, right. I mean, the reality is their record was their record, and they they you know whatever. But there's certainly a narrative where you could make that the point that this run has not been that impressive. Okay, I mean, but you could look at the Bears and say, oh, the Bears. You know, if we look at you know their last six games, the Bears lost to the Giants by three. Who have they beaten? They lost. They, the uh, Bear, they beat the Rams too, actually. Isn't this why we have yeah. analytics? This is why we have analytics. It's true. This is why it's we true. have numbers to say things like so we don't make up these cockamamie narratives and and try to yell mm-hmm. at each other. Uh, so, going back to the Bears game, would you? So they did pull some starters on defense in the second half. Would you still give that game a full weight, or would you wait the first half a little bit more because? You know, the Bears do improve in the Massey Peabody model, giving it full weight, but I feel like I'm kind of shortchanging them because they probably should. I mean, I would think I should wait the first half a little more, although actually, if you look at it, I think they actually played a little bit better in the second half despite having some reserves in. I think you have to not. I mean, I think if it's clear that they're just sitting a bunch of people, then maybe you throw out a half, just like you try to throw out garbage time for certain players or certain basketball situations, people do that. But, um, you know, in this case, I think. Yeah. What? I mean, you don't want to like discount the good performances either. Right. I mean, like, so the Raider, you know, the, the chiefs didn't have anything to play for, but they still walloped the Raiders and then they played backups. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's in, I mean, who else did did have that situation? Seattle actually did. Well, they didn't have anything to play for, yet they played their starters most of the game, right? And Russell Wilson played the whole game, which didn't make a ton of sense to me at all. Um, But the Rams were a team that pulled starters late, but were playing well before that. You know, it's like you don't want to discount what they did early on, but at the same time, like, where do you draw that line? Where do you say, okay, we're going to stop waiting here? And in a way, it feels like you're kind of cherry-picking it. Too, I mean, because and then then you have the Saints who who rested, who rested um, uh, Drew Brees and the rested Alvin Kamara, but they played their starters in the first half and and they're on defense, and they did not play well at all on defense in the first half. They played better on defense in the second half once they like put their reserves in. Like, what do you do with that game? Do you like? I think I think that game. So so what I would say is you just throw that game out for the Saints. Right. However, I mean, I feel like the, there has to be some signal in the defensive performance. And I kind of did a little bit of a manual adjustment there. And, and I basically said, okay, I'm going to wait their defensive performance is like half of a game and just not wait their offense at all. But I mean, it's, it's that's not scientific right there. Yeah, I agree. It's not scientific, yeah. but I, I think part of this we've descri- described it. It's, it's some of this is art, not science, unfortunately. I mean, it all is, right? I mean, developing a model, there's as much art as there is science. The numbers end up being science, but but how you develop it and what you choose to include in it is very much art. Yeah. But but fuck week 17. Fuck week 17, I'm with you. All right, I think that's good for tonight. Um, So I have four picks in the NFL. I've got Seattle plus the two, Houston minus the one, Chicago minus the six, and the charges plus the three and you've got Houston minus one and the charges plus three. And then we both have Clemson plus the five in the national championship game. So good luck to everyone. Big week ahead.
I'll say bye, Rufus. Bye, Jeff. All the numbers in the simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppet tees a butt to end just running off a leaded. None of it's organic. It all sounds synthetic. That's why I fucks with Jeff Ma and his dog Rufus. No locks of the year. They just tell you what their truth is. Maybe make your pockets fatter as the pokies get thinner. Give the information turn and losing betters into winners. Yeah. Sturm Herm, Reppin' Ruckers, Jeff Ma, Rufus Peabody, crunching all the numbers, Massey Peabody rankings, we're looking for the edge, analytically driven, crunching all the numbers.